Oregon State and Washington State get a big legal victory in the march to determine their future. So what happens now? You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights and soon to be mostly team free, though not entirely team free, but beloved and loaded conference of champions. Like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions apply. By the way, quick shout out to all of you. We're almost to 5,000 subs on the YouTube channel. Very, very grateful and appreciative. So, Big win for Oregon State and Washington State earlier this week. Judge Gary Leiby ruled that they are the only voting board members of the Pac-12. What exactly does that mean? All decisions made that pertain to the legal entity that remains, that is the Pac-12 conference, there are only two voting members now. The 10 departing schools were trying to argue, we're still here and we still have you know a say in all that sort of stuff. And the judge said, no. They're the only governing members, meaning they're the only voting members, but the other 10 should be treated fairly on their way out, which I'll get to in a moment. But you get to have input, suggestions, sit in on board me- meetings, but you don't actually get to vote to determine anything because those 10 schools have, I, I think, already done enough to determine Oregon State and Washington State's future. Now, there's still more to be resolved here. An appeal is almost 100% going to happen. And the 10 departing schools, who are the defendants in the lawsuit here, they are trying to draw this out as much as possible. The transfer portal window opens on December 4th. The closer we inch to December 4th, the less leverage Oregon State and Washington State have because they are trying to deliver complete and total clarity as quickly as possible to all of their athletes because if they can't do that and can't tell them, hey, we're going to compete at this level or that level or even give them an idea of what conference they'll be in, what what schools they'll play against, what sort of level, what sort of NIL opportunities, everything like that, then there's going to be quite the exodus. And it comes, again, the college football schedule is so backwards, so backwards. Why do you have a transfer portal window opening before the season ends? I don't know. It doesn't even make sense from a baseline marketing standpoint. If you're trying to maximize the amount of interest and intrigue in the sport, You need off-season storylines. This show is five days a week, all year round. I host another podcast about the Ducks that's the same thing. You know what big topics in the off-season are? The transfer portal. What needs are, what players are going to be, all that sort of stuff. And instead of taking that and putting it at a time where college football is not as much in the news, say, after the national championship, we decide to put it in the middle of the season. It makes absolutely no sense. One of many things that does not make a whole heck of a lot of sense in the realm of college football. To me, though, this decision does make sense. Now, something that still, I believe, has to be adjudicated is that 
The money that is earned this year is kind of the sticking point. And I think that's the next big domino to fall because there are hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, the exact amount is unclear. I've seen estimates ranging from 120 million once everything gets sorted out to 400 million. I, I, I don't have that number. And I don't know that anybody specifically does because we don't know all the details of the Pac-12's financial situation. But there's a lot of money at stake. And Oregon State and Washington State are trying to get control of all or most of it. And one thing that was ruled in the decision here is like, hey, the 10 departing schools are, are, are going to be entitled to the revenue or some of the revenue, at least, or a part of it. Like they shouldn't be completely cut out of what happens next. So, you know, that's what the quote need to be treated fairly line, I think, is referring to is that they're in the conference this year helping make revenue. The 10 departing schools are. Now, they are, of course, screwing Oregon State and Washington State collectively by leaving the conference, and some are far more responsible for that than others. But I think it's reasonable to say, okay, you know, the revenue for this year shouldn't all go to Oregon State and Washington State. Here's one thing I want to push back on, though. I think I'm in the minority here, except for people in Corvallis and Pullman. But I've seen a number of takes out there with regards to fairness towards the 10 departing schools, which I find to be really, really funny because the idea that we're supposed to be concerned about the fairness and well-being of the 10 institutions, again, some more than others, but who have all at one point in time played a role in orchestrating the demise of this conference and putting Oregon State and Washington State in a completely unfair and borderline untenable situation that they're trying to make the best of right now is kind of hilarious to me. It's 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 kind of, it's kind of hilarious. It really is because I am not concerned about the well-being of the 10 departing schools. I know what their futures are. You know who doesn't? Oregon State and Washington State. I I, I mean the Beavs and the Cougs are out there trying to get their baseline costs covered. Think about it on like an individual financial level. I'm a single guy, so I deal with this stuff on a financial level. I'll speak to that particular metaphor that I've come up with here in my head. I'm just trying to figure out how I can pay for rent, food, basis, basic expenses, have some money saved and set aside in case of an emergency, God forbid, that's Oregon State and Washington State. They're trying to just get the basic expense. The other schools are looking for a new chandelier on their house, the three-story one that they are now getting as a result of a decision that has left Oregon State and Washington State fending for basic necessities. So I, I find that to be a little disingenuous. Like I, I have no sympathy here for, oh, they're earning all this revenue for the conference and look, should they get some of it? Probably, but I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know how that's going to play out. I'm here to talk about it from, I don't know, outsider's perspective, content creator perspective, whatever you want to look at it as. I read that situation and say, no, on the surface, it is unfair that 10 schools that make money for a conference wouldn't get any of that money. In what world do schools like, I don't know, USC or Oregon and Washington or UCLA or Colorado, what leg do they have to stand on to talk about what's fair 
First of all, who told you life is fair? It clearly isn't. Second of all, you have created an unfair situation for others and then want to go out there and whine about, oh, well, that's not fair. Like, cry me a little bit of a river there. But again, this should probably get some. But should they get the share they would have gotten had they stayed? No, I, I, I don't think so just from a logical standpoint. Oregon State and Washington State, you can argue whether or not they should get all of the revenue the conference brings in this year. But should they get an outside share of it? 100%. That's what's fair, since that's what we're what we're all worried about here. Speaking of other, you know, mockable decisions and statements that were made, the 10 departing schools, I think it was their lawyers or someone, or I don't remember if it was Washington or somebody put it out, but all, all the 10 departing schools signed their name to it. Uh, there was a statement that went out that said, you know, blah, 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 legal jargon. We're going to appeal and do this for the best interests of our student athletes. Oh my gosh. If a single school that has been heavily involved in realignment talks about the well-being of the student athletes, I am going to throw up in my mouth because that is just a disgusting thing to hide behind. Like, well, disgusting is probably a little bit too harsh, but it's fake. It's, it's, it, it's fake. It is like, we're concerned with the well-being of the student athletes. No, you're not. No, no, stop. Don't don't try and fool us with that utter nonsense because that's that's exactly what it is. That that is utter nonsense. It's become very clear the concerns of student athletes matters absolutely zero in these entire conversations. So I don't want to hear anything about that from from the ten departing schools. But I'm sure we will because that's how this ridiculous game is played. So that's where things stand. But what happens next? Lots of different moves on the table for Oregon State and Washington State. When you check out LinkedIn Jobs, you got a lot of different options on the table because these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Go in there, create a free job post in minutes, which is really easy, by the way. Add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality, quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. It is time now for our athletic brewing company, Game Changer of the Week. Michael Penix, the go-ahead touchdown to Roma Dunze over the weekend in the win over Washington, which isn't enough to get him past Florida State. Is that ridiculous? Absolutely. You know what else is ridiculous? How good Athletic Brewing Company's non-alcoholic beers taste. Their brews are great tasting and award-winning. They beat out full-strength beers in global competitions. They brew over 50 styles of craft, non-alcoholic beer, including IPAs, Goldens, Sours, and more. I've had them. They are excellent. And I'm a guy who doesn't drink a ton. But guess what? I'm not drinking, drinking if I have a non-alcoholic brews because they taste great. But you still get that great beer flavor, which, you know, I wasn't huge on when I first turned 21. But it's grown on me. Absolutely has. I enjoy beer every now and then. And I always enjoy a non-alcoholic 
beer from Athletic Brewing Company. No hangovers ever. You can find Athletic Brewing Company's non-alcoholic brews at a store near you or buy online at athleticbrewing.com. First-time customers can use code Locked On to get 15% off your first online order. That's code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N at checkout for 15% off at athleticbrewing.com. Near beer, exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. All right, so... This this brings up the question: What does Oregon? What do Oregon State and Washington State do now? Well, there are going to be more legal battles because an appeal is likely, and they'll have to see how much money they're going to actually end up receiving. But then from there, because of this ruling, to me, it is more likely—not necessarily the most likely—but it's more likely that at some point in time, Oregon State and Washington State try to rebuild the pack rather than the concept of a reverse merger or joining the Mountain West or merging with the Mountain West or whatever you'd want to call that particular situation if you've got a if you've got hundreds of millions of dollars that are suddenly in your bank account in your Oregon state and Washington state let's say they end up like just just again this is not based on any particular number just as a nice clean hypothetical if you were to get 150 million dollars instead of you know 31.7, I think is what the number is going to be. That's 120 extra million that you didn't think you were going to have before. As a conference, what are you going to do with that? Well, there are a lot of options on the table and rebuilding the conference is certainly one of them. The buyouts for the American conference schools, any that you would invite, Tulane should be at the top of that list, of course. There would be Mountain West targets as well, which we talked about basically all summer and in the spring as well. We'd start to revisit those topics depending on how this all goes forward which is why you should subscribe if you have not already, wherever you're listening to or watching the show, daily coverage of all this sort of stuff when the news is appropriate for it. So there'd be a lot of different targets they could go with there. And I think that if you're going to try and make the best of this, a clearly bad situation, if you're Oregon State and Washington State, you want to have the opportunity to pick the cream of the crop, creme de la creme, best of the best, top shelf G5 teams available. That means poaching some out of the Mountain West, and some out of the American. And if you suddenly have many, many millions of dollars, you can help facilitate exit fees. You can help facilitate costs in your own department to continue spending at a power five level. I think that's where their first priority is going to be financially is we want to make sure our coaches remain paid. We want to make sure our athletic department remains funded. We want to make sure that our uh, you know NIL collectives are still as good as they can possibly be, though that's a separate issue from the revenue you get from uh, a conference at the end of the year. But I think that situation where Oregon State and Washington State do rebuild the pack looks more and more likely. A two-team conference for 2024 would not get them an automatic qualifier, though they could still, in theory, get into the college football playoff if they cobble together a good enough schedule, which is an interesting and longer conversation in and of itself. But all signs seem to indicate they could put together a, a conference schedule that's got some Mountain West teams. They already have their FCS buy games in there. And then they could find some Division One Power 5 schools that need games, right? It's, it, it's possible, right? Not easy, but it appears to be more than possible. So I think that's what comes next for the Beavs and the Cougs. Fascinated to see how, how it all plays out. But that's my reaction for now. I think that's enough to, to talk about for now. But if you have any questions, as always, you want me to explain something, talk about something, speculate, whatever. YouTube comments, great way to get in the mailbag or on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore pack 12. Again, I appreciate you all so very, very much. The show has grown 
uh, a lot faster than I thought it would. And I'm happy to do it for all of you. I'm glad you enjoy it. So let's get to uh, a question here from David Spencer, a comment and a question comment. I think OSU is in a much stronger position than WSU football growth, potential baseball program, research dollars, stadium renovation. I agree across the board there. I could easily see OSU as one of the top four candidates to go power four with USF, Tulane, and UNLV. I don't see that with Wazoo. I, d- I don't agree with you there. I think Oregon State is individually a more attractive candidate than Washington State to go to a power four. I don't know what world Oregon State gets invited somewhere and Washington State does not. You, you don't take, you know, Tulane doesn't make sense geographically to pair with Oregon State. UNLV is not up to Washington State's level. They're having one good football season that doesn't put them above the Cougs in any way, shape, or form. Uh, And USF, that's South Florida. I, I, again, uh, don't think they would be more attractive options there. Question, will you get into the Ray Anderson ASU situation? Yeah, great news for Arizona State fans. Any listening to or watching right now uh, and everybody else, just be aware. Ray Anderson, the athletic director at Arizona State, nobody liked him. He wasn't doing a good job. He is out. And you should not underestimate the importance of having a good athletic director. That is reflected in, you know, the commitment that you get from universities and the relationships with university presidents and coaches that you hire, like all that stuff matters. And, uh, you know, for Ray Anderson, he was not doing a good job. Arizona State has underperformed as an athletic department for a long, long time. They've had some good seasons and some good teams individually in various sports, but they are nowhere near what their maximum potential should be. It was time for a change, and, and I'm glad that ASU is uh, getting that. Oregon State Athletic Director Scott Barnes is going to be a target for them, by the way. Curious to see how that uh, plays out. This one from JT. Who decides if a conference is a G5 or a P5? Do you think your imagined Pac-2 plus Mountain West plus AAC or others would be much weaker than the new Big 12, especially if the new Pac uh plus got more tv money i like that the pack plus um i don't know how much more tv money they'd get because you'd essentially be looking at a g5 television contract which pays somewhere in the four to eight million dollar range power five pays a lot more than that so the difference between a group of five and a power five comes down to uh the caliber of schools and universities that are in the conference the value of those schools to the television partners and the total amount of money that goes into it. So the Mountain West schools don't have as big of budgets, just generally speaking, because they don't pour in as much. They don't have as much. And then you look at the power conferences and you understand that like they're bigger television products. They've got more money to pour into the university anyway. And then the other thing, there is a legal in the eyes of the NCAA discrepancy between an autonomous or a power five and a non-autonomous five and the, the privileges that are granted to those particular conferences, really the difference is money. That, 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 that's what it comes down to. Utah once upon a time was Mountain West. It's now a power five. You know what they've done? Invested a lot more money as a university in a variety of areas. That's the biggest difference as to how you get from one level to the next one is you got to have the money to do it. You got to gain things like, you know, for, to the former Pac-12 now, it used to matter if you were an AAU or an R1 institution and, and that sort of stuff. And, you know, the size of your school isn't as important. TCU is really tiny, but I, I think it comes down primarily to the, the amount of financial investment that your school makes and the amount of financial benefit that you can bring to, you know, a television network, for instance. But it starts with the total amount of investment uh, and, and then historical ties as well. It's how these conferences have, of course, been made. And we're blowing those up here in the Pac-12 because... 
yeah, yeah. Anyway, dumb reasons here. Gosh, we still have a lot to get to here on today's show. What a great Thursday podcast this is. At least I, I, I'd like to think so. If you're still watching at this point you or listen, you probably think so as well. You also probably think that you can get things going over at Prize Picks, which is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. The easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and you watch the winnings roll in. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a combo, 10 and a half, three-pointers, and receptions. You can do all sorts of fun stuff like that. You can play against prize picks favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz in the community plays under the promos tab of the app. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on college. Use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash locked on college. Use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks daily fantasy sports made easy. As usual, realignment stuff and legal jargon that I don't fully understand but can loosely interpret and report back to you on what other people say about it went a little bit longer than I thought. We're going to go through a range of outcomes, the best outcome for each team in this week's slate of Pac-12 games and what is going to be a really fun and exciting week 12. A lot of good games this week. We're going to roll through it here at a speed that you've never seen before, maybe ever. Here we go. Oregon State, minus two and a half against Washington. Game of the week in college football. Beeb's best outcome. Martinez has a big day. Contain the big plays for Washington's offense and win the game 38-27. I think either team could win by double digits if they play well. Husky's best outcome. Expose the Beaver secondary. Hold the Beeb's drive to, drives to field goals. Oregon State's going to move the football, but you got to hold them to field goals. If they do that and they have those big plays, Huskies can win 45 to 30. Arizona plus one and a half against Utah. I really hope the loser of this game isn't unranked the following week. They probably will be. And hopefully would be able to get back into the top 25 with a win in rivalry week next week. But Arizona's best outcome here. You match Utah's physicality. That's the identifying trait of a Kyle Whittingham team. Protect the football. This is a Utah team that's got more pick sixes than anybody in college football in the last five, 10 years. If they do those things, Wildcats win 23-17. to 17. Unlike the first game, where either team could win by double digits. I don't think either of these teams can win by double digits. I think Utah-Arizona is a really evenly matched game. I think it's an awesome football game. Utah's best outcome. Bryson Barnes channels the first half against Washington. 28 points on the road. The defense doesn't let Arizona be balanced. That is when the Wildcats are at their most lethal, when they have Jonah Coleman rolling and Noah Fafita's throwing the ball to Tetaro McMillan, Jacob Cowling, and the like. Utah can win the game if they don't let Arizona be balanced, and Bryson Barnes plays well 31-24. USC, minus 6.5 against UCLA. Reports are Chip Kelly's out no matter what happens in this game. Yeah, Trojans, minus six and a half, taking that one, the Pac-12 prime picks, which are red hot right now and over 500 on the year. USC's best outcome is Caleb Williams protects the ball whilst making big plays. The defense plays like it did at Oregon. Defense was not bad against the Ducks. Held Oregon at 36. That's a good number at Oxen Stadium for that USC defense compared to how they had been playing. If they do those two things, they win 38-24. 
UCLA can still win it. Whether Chip Kelly is going to be on the way out or not, we'll see. But if their D-line forces Caleb Williams into turnover-capable plays and they just get competent quarterback play against a USC defense that played better last week without Alex Grinch but still isn't great, Bruins can win this game but close, 28-27. I think USC is the side there. Stanford in the big game. In the game of the week. Game of the season, really, for both of these teams. Stanford plus six and a half against Cal. Stanford's best outcome has got Ashton Daniels thriving again. He's played some great football. You stop the Cal rushing attack, much like Arizona. When Cal gets balanced, they can get going. Cardinal do those two things, and they'll win the game at home 31-27. Cal's best outcome here. Mimic the game plan from Oregon State. Mimic the game plan that Oregon State had last week against Stanford. What was that? Pounding the rock with Jaden Knott. Don't know if Isaiah Fonse is playing, but Jaden Knott should be there. They win the line of scrimmage against the Stanford offensive line defensively, and you can stifle everything the Cardinal want to do, and the Bears could win this game big. 45-30 is what I'll say is their best outcome. It could be even bigger than that if Cal plays well. How about Friday night in the battle for bowl eligibility? Washington State's best outcome. Features Cam Ward continuing to play well. He's top 10 in passing yards per game in all of college football. Brandon Stone, Brandon Jackson, rather, and Ron Stone Jr. Pressure Shadur Sanders. This is a horrific Colorado offensive line. If the Cougs do those two things at home in their final home game this year, they keep their hopes of making a bowl game alive going into the Apple Cup and win 38-21. Colorado can win this game, though. Absolutely. It's a four-point spread. Washington State's favored by four, four and a half. Colorado's best outcome is being able to run the ball with any semblance of success to stay balanced. Because if you are throwing every time and Jackson and Stone can pin their ears back and they know you're throwing, you're in trouble. Big time trouble. If you do that and force at least one turnover of Cam Ward, who Shador Sanders then outplays, Buffs win 28 to 20. Last one. Boy, we are flying. Arizona State is a 23 and a half point home underdog against Oregon. That's a lot of points. Don't know where I'm landing on the Pac-12 prime picks there, but that's a lot of points. Arizona State's best outcome. I don't think they can win the game because of their quarterback situation, but they could hang around. We saw them do it with Washington. Didn't win the game, but they did that on the road. This Oregon team is rolling though, and they're good on both sides of the ball. If ASU runs the ball and controls the clock to keep Bo Nix on the sidelines, and the defense has a game like it did against Washington, which they played exceptionally well. I think Arizona State could hang around, maybe have this being a, be a game going into the fourth quarter, and Oregon maybe wins with you know a late touchdown or so to kind of pull away and seal it, or Arizona State's just sniffing around with a late field goal or something. 32-21, I think, is kind of the best outcome there for Arizona State. Oregon's best outcome, though, is to play the way they did a couple weeks ago on the road against Utah. This Utah team housed Arizona State 55 to 3. Oregon housed Utah 35 to 6. So we know that if the Ducks play the way they're capable of, Arizona State can't match them. I think they'd run away and win 52 to 17. Those are your ranges of outcomes for week 12 in the Pac 12. Goodness gracious, we got through that in just about six and a half minutes. Not half bad. Let's close with a mailbag question here. It appears that Chip Kelly will likely be gone from UCLA in the near future. What impact would that have on other teams in terms of recruiting, transfer portal, et cetera, especially with Chip himself, offensive coordinator, and Dante Moore? So I don't know what Chip Kelly's going to do. My guess is he probably goes the pundit route. 
and goes and gets behind a desk or a microphone somewhere. He's an interesting guy, a little quirky, not super outgoing, but uh, very honest and to the point. Here's the reason the UCLA potential, it's not official, opening is relevant. Signs have indicated that he is going to be let go. He's re-elevated the standard, but it seems like there's a ceiling with him as the head coach there right now. And as they go to the Big Ten, they might go in a different direction. I could understand it. Don't know if I love that for Dante Moore, but I totally get it. The reason this is important is you have two guys currently coaching in the Pac-12 who will be candidates for UCLA, and that's Oregon State's Jonathan Smith and Arizona's Jed Fish. And Jed Fish and Jonathan Smith both would probably at least take a phone call depending on how interested they are in coaching at the highest level of college football because there are no conferences that are going to be bigger or better in terms of competitive depth or financially than the SEC and the Big Ten. And Arizona going to the Big 12 is a much stronger stick to dangle in front of their head coach than whatever Oregon State's plan is to try to you know allure Jonathan Smith to stay in Corvallis. But neither one can match the Big Ten. And if either coach were offered, I, I, I lean towards either one would go. I think Fish would be more likely to leave. Like Smith, I, I would think he'd go, but I'm not entirely sure because he's an OSU grad. I think it depends on how he feels about the future. But you'd certainly understand if he left, not wanting him to leave because Oregon State has got their guy here, a really good football coach, and I think he's going to win on Saturday night at Reeser Stadium in a doozy of a football game. But those two coaching names are going to be out there. As for you know transfer and the recruiting portal or high school recruiting, you know guys will open things back up. They'll decommit. It happens every time, right? We see it every time a coach leaves a particular place or is let go. It's like, ah, yeah, I didn't commit to play for the school. I wanted to go play for that coach, so I'm going to go over here. Guys will reopen their recruitment recruitments. They'll decommit. Guys will go in the portal and be available. And there's some talented players on that roster that could come available, but some guys might stick it out depending on what the hire is. But I think the biggest thing that could happen is it's another open job on the carousel in one of the two major conferences. You've got Texas A&M, you've got UCLA. Those are pretty big time jobs. Both have been you know, kind of underachieving compared to what their potential should be as football programs. But if they make the right hire, they could do a lot of really, really good things. And I don't think it's a lock that Jed Fish or Jonathan Smith end up being UCLA's head coach. I'm just saying with their West Coast ties, I mean, Jed Fish, I think, was working for the Patriots. I think he worked for the Rams at one point in the NFL. Yeah, I could definitely see him being the next head coach. And I could see Jonathan Smith saying, I, I, I want to coach college football at the highest level, and I think this sucks, but I want to go down and and take a shot with the Bruins where he'd have a lot more resources, better recruiting capabilities and a bigger conference to plan and a bigger salary as well. So I could see all of that. And I think that's the bigger impact more so than, you know, what could happen with, uh, with, with that particular roster and Dante Moore, you know, really talented quarterback was tied to a number of places, including Notre Dame and Michigan and Oregon once upon a time where he was once verbally committed. I think you got to wait and see kind of what, what happens there. Cause some guys stick it out. Some guys say, no, nah, this is this is where I want to be. This is where I want to play. Some guys say, nope, I came here to play for a coach and I want to go play for one who I know and like. 
Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.